Um, so this presentation, there are two presentations. Today's part one, tomorrow's part two. So today's the day where I put on my pain practitioner hat and I tell you how to use social media. And tomorrow I put on my lawyer hat and tell you what not to do so you don't get in trouble, as my kids would say. So um, I want to get started with my disclosures. I really don't think I have any disclosures that conflict, but I believe in being perfectly honest with all my funding and stuff. The most important thing is that um, I am a consultant for the National Fibromyalgia and Chronic Pain Association, and I run their social media as a volunteer. So you will hear me a little biased towards some of the things that we're doing. Um, learning objectives, I want you to be able to identify six reasons for pain practitioners to use social media, describe three ways that you can use social media for professional development, patient activity, and patient engagement, and differentiate between three types of social media and how they are used. Now, um, I want to start out by talking about a systematic review that was done looking at social media and healthcare. Um, you know, I'm a professor, I've got to throw in some academic stuff. So um, there are, this study showed that there are seven key uses for social media for health communication. Um, first, it provides information on a variety of health conditions, including pain. You can go to social media and find out a lot more information about pain from other patients, from practitioners, providers, from caregivers, all kinds of people. You can find out information on just about any healthcare condition. And in fact, there is a place now, and I forgot the name of it, but I may have it later in the presentation, I think I do, where you can go on and you can put your own healthcare story and you have health detectives come on and tell you what they think it is. And they've been able to actually solve, you know, uh, through crowdsourcing, they've been able to solve people's healthcare problems. Um, it also provides answers to medical questions, and this is that one, by providing information in a variety of contexts, including videos um, that replace text for people with low literacy, visual impairments. Um, the variety of social media platforms facilitates interaction among patients and between patients and providers. Uh, it provides a vehicle to collect data on patient experience and opinions on provider performance. I teach qualitative research, and all of our studies are recruited through social media. Um, in fact, we've had problems because qualitative research, you know, you get maybe 15 or 20 responses. We've had so many responses to qualitative studies that we've ended up having to analyze quantitative data. And we have a poster about one of our studies where we had a, over 200 people respond to just what we thought was open-ended questions for qualitative data. So if you're recruiting, it's a wonderful way of recruiting and promoting health interventions is another really good way. Um, there are a lot of campaigns online on Twitter with hashtags to stop smoking or to find out information about different kinds of um, health problems. Um, we had a campaign with the National Fibromyalgia and Chronic Pain Association to get people to sign a petition to promote the national um, pain strategy. So we were educating people about the national pain strategy and how you can advocate for it. Uh, social media can reduce stigma about medical conditions. It's used, been used a lot with epilepsy. can be used with chronic pain. I mean, now we're seeing um, a hashtag, patients not addicts, because people who are taking opioids of chronic pain conditions are trying to educate the public that we really need these medications. We're not the addicts that you're hearing in the media. Um, and social media also provides opportunities for online consultation. Um, there is a... Uh, Doc Chat, which is an app where you can um, see a doctor in five minutes on your phone or computer. Um, so you can get consultations. And what's really amazing to me is that I have been able to contact people on Twitter and they respond to me, who I could never get through their front office staff to even ask for an appointment. Um, I'd be on hold for the rest of my life. 
but on Twitter, in five minutes, I get somebody responding to my question. It's just the most amazing thing since sliced bread. Um, now, social media explained. Um, this is, goes around social media periodically. It's the best explanation, the donut. On Twitter, you tell people, I'm eating a donut. On Facebook, you tell them, I like donuts, because you like it. Um, on Foursquare, which is about where you are in, in space and time, this is where I eat donuts. So you're at the donut shop, and you tell people, this is where I eat donuts. Instagram is pho photographs. Here's a vintage photo of my donut. Um, YouTube is videos. Here's a picture. Here's a video of me eating a donut. Um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, people go to LinkedIn mostly for um, recruitment, for professional networking. They will, they'll contact you for jobs. So on LinkedIn, my skills include donut eating. Um, Pinterest is where people post things. Just some people post recipes. Some people post pictures of, uh, of plants, things that they've crocheted, whatever it is. So um, here it is. Here's a donut recipe. Um, now, I'll, be, I'll admit to you, I don't use Last FM, but I assume it has something to do with music. So here, now listening to donuts. And then finally, Google Plus. I'm a Google employee who eats donuts. So this kind of gives you an example of the different ways that um, social media is used. Now, why should pain practitioners use social media? Um, this is Kevin Foe. He, he is the guru of physicians using social media. I've extended that to all pain practitioners since I'm not a physician. Um, he has more, this was, you know, I prepared this. I had to turn this in in July. In July, he had 20,000, almost 21,000 followers. He's probably up to 25,000 followers by now. Um, he's amazing, and he, um, he, you can find him on YouTube, all over the, the Internet, talking about why physicians should use um, social media and how they should be careful using social media because there can be problems. So he has three reasons, and these are his three. I've added three more. So he says that you can filter information and lead patients to reliable information and better websites. Um, I'm going to show you some ways to tell whether a website is a good website to send your patients to. And certainly, patients need information. Um, in the keynote yesterday, they were talking about the eight minutes that you get to spend with a patient. You don't have time to educate them and give them all the information you want to. The internet can do that. And I can show you how you can find those pages. Um, you can connect with colleagues with similar interests and specialties. And again, you want to contact some doctor who's more famous than you are about a particular thing. You know, if you tweet to them, they're going to answer you. And you develop a, a circle, a network of friends who you've never met, but you feel, you know, like Kevin Foe, I feel like I should invite him to my kids' uh, weddings. Um, you know, I, I feel like I spend so much time with him. He knows so much about me. I know so much about him. Um, you can also use social media to reach policymakers by having your voice heard. When you tweet to a member of Congress, you get an answer. And they hear it. When, I mean, you, you see the power that tweeting has every, t every time you turn on the TV. Donald Trump tweeted this today, um, and he's got you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers, but it has an impact. Tweeting has an amazing impact. So you can reach policymakers that way. Now, the three that I've added, um, you can use the Internet to provide a vehicle for patient peer support to help increase patient engagement. I'm going to be speaking on patient engagement on Saturday. For those of you who aren't here, patient engagement has been... Uh, Leonard Kish called it the, um, the uh, wonder drug of the 21st century. We know that patient engagement improves outcomes, decreases um, medical errors, 
um, improves co uh, compliance with programs that you set up with, with uh, treatment plans. It does wonderful things. So you can improve that. And one way you can improve it is by sending people to certain support groups online. I'm going to show you some examples of that. But I can tell you that one of my other hats, I run a program for the United Spinal Association. When I get a new client, the first thing I do is I give them a list of 10 support groups on Facebook. They're closed Facebook pages. You have to ask to be for, for membership. And, you know, I say you have a lot of questions. I can't answer them all because I don't have a spinal cord injury. But if you go to these 10 Facebook groups and you join them, you can ask any question you want and you're going to get an answer. So if you have a patient who's having difficulty doing a certain thing or is having certain side effects, they can go on and ask other patients, what do you do? And, uh, you know, I'll give you an idea. I have thyroid eye disease. I belong to a group of thyroid eye disease patients. When my doctor was telling me to do a certain treatment, and I was reading the literature that says it's contraindicated, I asked on the group, did anybody have this done? And people were coming on saying, don't do it. I did it. It made it worse. Don't do it. And everybody, just everybody, one right after another, said, don't do it. I went back to my doctor. I said, I did a study. I'm not doing it. Um, I believe in anecdotal reporting from a uh, you know, purposive sample. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing where you can say, well, you know, if you're having trouble with that, we've tried everything. We've tried a lot of things. Why don't you go ask the support group that's got 13,000 people with chronic pain? Ask them how they address that issue. And then let's talk about it. Um, you can promote yourself in your practice. That's a big one. Everybody knows Kevin Foe. Um, he must have a really big practice. No, no, no. He's a practicing physician. He, t he talks about that. You can go online. I only have a half hour, but he, if you go online and you Google him, you can find his videos, interviews, all kinds of stuff. He has his own website, Kevin Foe, MD, and he will tell you how he does it. There are things that you can set up ahead of time, so you can spend 20 minutes and set up tweets for the next 24 hours so that you, they'll be tweeting while you're seeing patients. Um, so there's all kinds of things that you can do like that. Um, and to provide educational opportunities tailored for patients. So you can tell patients where to go. You can set up your own videos on YouTube, have a YouTube channel, and then you get a new back patient, watch this video. You get a new patient with carpal tunnel syndrome, watch this video. And you're telling them what you want to tell them and giving them patient education that may not be, you know, interactive, but you, 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 know, you tell them. Or before they even come into the office, you tell them you're coming to the office for the first time, you're, you have a complaint of back pain, watch this video and be prepared to answer these questions or tell me your history this way. And you train your patients to report things that you want reported that are important to you. Okay, now let's, I'm going to go through each one of those. In terms of filtering information and leading patients um, to reliable information and better website, the Pew Commission data from 2015 shows that 85% of U.S. adults use the Internet and 67% are smartphone users, while 2013 shows, data shows that 59% of adults who use the Internet say they have looked online for health information in the past year, and that's 2013. I'm sure it's gone up. 35% of U.S. adults say they have gone online specifically to try and figure out what medical condition they or someone else might have. And then... Um, this helps them, you know, obviously everybody's doing it. So you can clarify information patients find online because they may find stuff that you don't know about. I do that with my endocrinologist all the time, and he tells me to stop reading. Um, and help patients interpret the information that they find. So this is an opportunity to clarify the news. You know, something comes out, 
a new study on this, and then, you know, it's really not what they said because they're reporters, so you can clarify that. And it gives you an opportunity to stop pain rumors and misinformation through pain practitioners through blogs. You can have a blog, or you can have an open Facebook post to your patients, or tweets, or YouTube videos, and other social media vehicles that you set up for your patients to specifically dispel rumors, to let them know what's going on. Um, you can also guide patients to reliable information on the web. And you can put links on your Facebook, uh, your practice's Facebook page to websites with reliable information or sites that explain how to determine if information is reliable. And this is an example. This is a YouTube video put on by the Health Channel um, TV. I'm not going to play it, but it's on um, back pain. And it talks about what to do, its causes and symptoms and treatment, which you don't have time to do when you see a patient, but they want to know what's causing this. So you can refer them to that. Um, now, how do you find out if it's good information? The National Library of Medicine has an excellent video on its website that explains how to determine the reliability of a website. So pain practitioners, you can tweet these links periodically with hashtags such as pain, hashtag pain, hashtag chronic pain, and hashtag Spoonie. Spoonie is a hashtag for people with chronic conditions. If you ever have a minute and you want to find out what a Spoonie is, Google it. Everybody who treats patients with chronic pain should read the spoon theory. Very important. Read the spoon theory. Um, you can direct patients to reliable sources on Twitter and Facebook, such as Twitter feeds of the National Fibromyalgia and Chronic Pain Association. We're reliable. Um, and our Twitter feed is at Fibro and Pain or other organizations as well. Now, this is um, some examples of groups on Twitter. Um, Pain Week, obviously, is on Twitter. This is the National Fibromyalgia Chronic Pain Association. And No More Pain is a documentary that was done um, to educate patients. But you can Google pain, or you can look up pain on Twitter, and you can get um, access to these sources. Here are some others, the Chronic Pain Voice, the Interstitial Cystitis Foundation, Pain Connection, the TMJ, the RSDA, the U.S. Pain Foundation. I mean, everybody's got a Twitter feed. Um, and those groups, you know, obviously... Nonprofits in, in a particular area tend to put up reliable information about their particular um, area of practice. Now, Medline, okay, this is from the, um, the tutorial from the National Library of Medicine, and this tells you how to tell if a website is a reliable website. So I would recommend that you, if, when a patient comes to see you, you give them the link, this link and tell them to go home. Go, if you're going to look stuff up on the Internet, that's fine. But watch this first. It's going to tell you how to find something that's reliable. A key way to know that something's not reliable is if the author is admin or administrator because that information's been stolen by someone to another site or we don't know who wrote it. Um, that's one key. So that's one way to tell. But this is the best way is to look at this. It tells you how to evaluate web pages. Okay, the second one is connect with colleagues with similar specialties. Um, there's a significant presence of well-known pain practitioners and uh, not so well-known, <laughs> or people who think they're well-known, um, and pain organizations um, on the Internet. Um, thought leaders, there are many benefits of, of networking with these tweets. I find Twitter is the easiest way to network with them rather than Facebook or some other ways. Uh, there are thought leaders in pain. They keep followers informed of trends in the field um, on Twitter and in LinkedIn. Uh, they tweet about key and emerging issues in practice that you may not be aware of. You know, they, they were tweeting as the, um, uh, the, the CDC guidelines, there was a webinar where they were trying to get feedback. They were tweeting that webinar as it was happening. Before they even, you know, that was the, the first webinar for feedback. They were tweeting what they were saying. They wouldn't give out what, what, what they were, what they were um, uh, 
asking people for feedback about, but people were tweeting it as they were saying it. So it got out. Um, so they often tweet about these significant things as they're happening. Thought leaders will often answer your questions if posed through Twitter. Um, some examples of thought leaders, uh, Kenny Lin, for example, he's a family doctor. He blogs at Sense Family Doctor, or Common Sense MD Blogspot. Um, he recently reached one million page views. Uh, he's a very good friend of Kevin Foe's. <laughs> these guys are really big on, um, on uh, and this is his, uh, one of his um, blogs addressing the social determinants of pain, uh, a very interesting um, blog that everybody should read. You can Google it and find it. Um, I wish I had more than a half hour. I'm sorry. Um, these are some docs on the web who have a lot of followers. Um, some of them I talk to on, on uh, Twitter, but you, know, you can see that you just look up a topic. Um, you want to find family practice doctors, Google family practice doctors, but here are a bunch of them that are very, very active on, um, on Twitter. Okay, um, connecting with colleagues with similar specialties. You can follow at NIH Pain Research to keep, on the latest, keep up on latest NIH research on Twitter. It'll come to your feed. Um, you can follow at Cochrane PAPAS for the latest research from the Cochrane Pain Palliative and Supportive Care Review Group. Now, I, I got, you know, I, I run the Twitter feed for fibromyalgia and chronic pain. They invited us to their 18th anniversary celebration, but unfortunately it was in the UK. Um, and we didn't have any funding to go, but they, you know, she sent me a direct message and said, you know, we follow your feed and we'd love for you to come to our 18th anniversary celebration. It's like, oh, thank you so much. And then when I looked them up and realized that they're in London, it just wasn't going to, or somewhere in the UK, it wasn't going to work out, didn't have funding. Um, for the latest news in the pain field, you can follow at PedMed, uh, Ped, Pain Med News, National Pain Report, and Pain Week. And what's nice about this is it comes to you. All you have to do is follow these feeds. And it's like, you know, you read the newspaper in the morning, you can read pain news. All the, these feeds just come to you, and it's free. Um, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health covers pain research on, on its Facebook page, which comes to your Facebook page if you like the page. Um, individual professional societies have Twitter and Facebook pages that inform you of pain and opportunities for collaboration. Um, they will announce, you know, I, I always announce on, on our Facebook page on um, fibromyalgia that we're conducting a study, we, we're looking for participants. Or other people will write to me and say I'm conducting a study and I'll announce it. And we have, I want to say, last time I looked it was like 3,500 followers, but we had a big ramp up campaign with an intern and I, I was off for a little while, so we might be like well over 4,000 know, 4, by now because he did a really good job. Not that I don't do a good job, but we were trying to get the, uh, push the, um, our uh, signatures for the um, national pain strategy at that point. So these are some examples of some sources online. Um, the British Medical Journal, AA Pain Management, which changed its name. I don't know what they're doing with their Twitter feed. Um, the Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, American Academy of Pain Medicine. So when they come out with a study, you're not necessarily subscribing to the journal, but they'll put a summary of that study in 140 characters on Twitter um, with a link to the, um, you know, something that you can read about it, the abstract maybe from the journal. So you can find out so much information from these in a very short period of time and it's, it comes to you. Um, here's some more American Pain Society. Lynn Webster is a pain leader who um, tweets a lot. Um, pain, Stanford Pain, uh, NIH Pain Research, you know, all of these are, are sources of information for you and um, places that you can collaborate. Um, you can join virtual journal clubs. Uh, they share 140 characters of the um, 
summaries of the journals with links to the abstracts. Uh, some have Twitter chats with synchronous interaction. A Twitter chat is when you pick a time of day, a time period, and a hashtag, and everybody comes on at that time, and they follow that hashtag. So um, the most famous one, which is later in the presentation, but I'll talk about it now, is um, remember when um, some kid who was not vaccinated went to Disney World and started a measles epidemic? Remember that? Um, the Pe National Pediatrician Association, whatever it's called, um, had a Twitter chat. But, you know, they're pediatricians. Normally, Twitter chat's an hour. They couldn't do an hour. So they did like 10 or 15 minutes. And I don't remember what the hashtag was, you know, something like uh, vaccination save, vac save lives, or whatever it was. They had thousands of pediatricians getting online at the same time with a tweet or two with that hashtag. They got it trending on Twitter, and they got the message out, the public health message. It was great. So um, that's a, um, a, well, that's Twitter storm. A chat is where you get on for a period of time and you talk about something. So we've had Twitter chats with the National Fibromyalgia Chronic Pain Association where we'll have an expert come on a topic and we'll let our members know and our followers that we're having a Twitter chat. So they come on, they follow the hashtag, we have a question, everybody answers question one, question two, and then people get to ask questions of the expert. So it's very interactive. It's, it sounds kind of weird, but if you go on Twitter, you'll see um, different Twitter chats on different topics. So you can cover a range of pain practitioners. There's the Room Journal Club, the Psych Journal Club, Geriatric Medicine, GP, PT Inquest, and the Dental Journal Club. And a search of pain on LinkedIn yields 989 results. Um, you can find, those are groups. Uh, LinkedIn has um, groups that you can join that will send information directly to you. So you can find groups that match any interest area that you have. Um, this is an example of um, a journal club. Uh, my review on conservative treatments for chronic pain. And here's the article. And then... Um, they're talking about the next journal club will be. So that's how that works. Um, so some of the, these are examples of the uh, virtual journal clubs on, on Twitter, the room, psych, geriatric medicine. Um, now, there are also these closed Facebook communities. So you can um, search for your specialty, physical therapy, pain practitioner, et cetera, or you can start your own group. It's very easy to do on the topic area, low back pain, um, chronic uh, regional pain syndrome, uh, a complex regional pain syndrome. I'm still calling it RSD, sorry. Primary care and pain. Um, and doximity.com is a, like Facebook, but it's only for practitioners. So it limits measure, men, membership to health professionals to interact outside the public's view. So you could go on there and say, I have a patient with this. Anybody have any ideas? Um, so that's, all right. Now the next category, reach policymakers, have your voice heard. Um, a period before an address of a policymaker on Twitter reaches the, whole, the policymaker and all of his or her followers. So when you tweet to someone, you put at in the person's name. If you put a period before it, it goes to that person and all of their followers. So if you wanted to tweet to all of Donald Trump's followers, 20 million followers, you could do period at, I think it's the real Trump, I don't remember, um, and that'll go to over 20 million people. So you can tweet to a lot of people. So Twitter storms, as I mentioned, are very powerful. If you wanted to tweet about Zika, for example, you know, vote Zika, you know, because that's, you know, Congress won't take that up. You could get a bunch of people together, talk to CDC, publicize it, and for an hour you can all tweet tweets with why Zika, why they need to vote on Zika, how horrible Zika is, and include the hashtag vote on Zika. 
and that'll just be, it'll trend, it'll go all over the place, um, and it gets out public health messages, it can dispel rumors, and again, an example of that is um, patients, not addicts, but to, to do that in a concentrated period of time where you get you and all your friends and all your nonprofits and all your professional societies to tweet the same thing within the same hour. Um, social media gives pain practitioners a voice in the conversation about pain. It may lead, you know, if you start tweeting, it may lead to interviewers, interviews with mainstream media um, that's looking for experts to interview. Um, both provide additional opportunities to guide or steer the conversation to get people talking about something. Uh, blogs written by pain practitioners could have explained the new CDC guidelines to patients and other providers, caregivers, and the media, and could have, you know, if, if we write that stuff, we can slant it in the direction that we want it. We still have patients that need pain meds. There are doctors who are not writing it anymore. People are going through withdrawal and having suicidal ideations, according to one study done by the National Fibromyalgia Chronic Pain Association. So having a Twitter storm on this could help guide the conversation. Um, now, to me, the big one is providing this vehicle for peer, patient peer support to increase patient engagement. Facebook has these many closed Facebook um, support communities. Some groups focus on a specific pain-related condition. Others focus on chronic pain in general. Um, chronic Pain Information Group is one group that has over 13,000 members. It's run by a, just a guy in Canada. Um, Andrew Jervis started this because he got thrown out of another group because they got mad at him and he said, I'm taking my bat and glove and I'm starting my own game and now he's got 13,000, more than 13,000 people and they don't. Um, so there's really good information there. Members are knowledgeable. They answer questions, provide support, increase patient engagement by telling patients what to ask and what to look for. Um, and they have knowledge of these pain conditions. YouTube videos are another really good route. I explained before how you can use them. Um, the MS Society created YouTube videos for MS patients to share information about MS with other patients. So you can do that on chronic pain in your practice. Here are some examples of the closed um, pain groups on um, Facebook. Uh, pain practitioner group at the top is a group that I started to try and get pain practitioners together, but it hasn't been real successful. I invite you to join. We could make a go of it. Um, and the rest of these are pretty much um, different pain-related uh, groups that patients you can refer patients to. Um, another source of moderated support groups is bensfriends.org. They have different types of groups. You can start one there, and they always have someone who moderates it instead of letting you say whatever you want. Um, Twitter provides a lot of support for pain conditions. I mentioned the hashtag Spoonie is very popular among pain patients and other chronic conditions. A search of Spoonie on Twitter yields, yields numerous um, people, professionals, and organizations relevant to pain. And you may want to start your own online support group for your practice. Um, Just for your practice is an online Facebook group. Um, you can go on once a day for five minutes to answer questions. Uh, more traditional online support groups are available through Patients Like Me and Inspire. Um, support groups on Inspire are run by patient-led advocacy organizations with pretty reliable information. And Patients Like Me allows people with similar diagnosis to share information and network with each other. They also cull data and sell it, but it's not personal information. So they, that's how they're, that's a, their business model. Um, promote yourself and your practice. A social media presence can promote your pain practice and you. Um, and that's how patients make decisions these days about healthcare. I mean, there's, there's studies, I, I, you know, I only have a half hour, but there's studies that show that um, patients check out practitioners before they go to them. They look on the internet. So you can't really ignore social media. Um, Kevin Foe recommends that you start small and you put up a LinkedIn profile and you make a little time to do this. 
Um, the tweets can be scheduled in advance through programs like Hootsuite, TweetDeck does it, and Twitter does it as well. And Faux reminds us that social media provides an opportunity to network with patients and colleagues, have a voice in the national healthcare conversation, and have everything that comes with the visibility of social that social media brings. Um, you can, and the other thing that Faux says, and this is probably the most important thing you learn from this talk, is that pain providers have a social media reputation, whether you create it yourself or whether you allow patients to create it. So you want to go on and create it yourself. So he recommends getting out in front of your social media profile with a LinkedIn uh, profile. You decide what people will know about you. Google yourself weekly because you want to find out what people are saying about you. Um, and if you Google yourself, you'll be able to find that out. The YouTube video route or increased presence on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook will lead to increased exposure for you and your practice. Uh, merely creating a YouTube video is not enough. You need to spread the word about it. So you create a video, you create a YouTube channel, and then you tweet about it, you put it on your practice's Facebook page, you let people know that it's there. Um, okay, uh, tailored educational opportunities. You can create these educational opportunities. You can schedule Twitter ch chats with your patients. If you want them to know about certain topics, uh, food, and, food choices and pain, um, obesity and pain, exercise and pain, whatever it is, you can schedule a one-hour Twitter chat, which is an inter interactive conversation in real time. You can use these to answer questions or inform patients about specific educational information. You can invite other team members. You can invite a psychologist, an OT, a PT to be part of this Twitter chat and answer questions. Uh, you pick a time, a topic, and a hashtag that you want to use. Um, Try not to use a hashtag that everybody else is using. You can go to simpler.com and you can actually register your hashtag. So for example, pain chat is registered with Fibromyalgia and Chronic Pain Association. But if you want to do something in conjunction with the Fibromyalgia and Chronic Pain Association, we would love to do a Twitter chat with anybody who would like to do it. And we, you know, we have patients, we, or we have followers, you have patients, we're happy to get them together and have you introduce whatever it is you're talking about to them. Um, starting your own blogs, YouTube videos, tweets, Facebook posts tailored to your practice and patient needs is very helpful. You know, imagine you, you, you tell a patient, you know, here's this medication or here's this prescription for this, this, and this. Check my blog and YouTube explanation or YouTube channel for an explanation of how to use it, what to look for, uh, what side effects there are, etc. So blogs can also provide a forum for feedback because at the end of a blog, you have a place where patients can give you feedback, post things. So final takeaway pearls. Um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube have search features. Be alert that if you search pain, it's the name of a rock group that recently announced a new album, and this will clutter your search. So you might want to search chronic pain, or just be aware that pain, you're going to get a whole bunch of things about this new album. Uh, social media is part of life and practice that you can't ignore, because if you don't do it, someone else is going to start talking about you anyway. Um, ignoring social media can be dangerous. Allowing others to create a pain practitioner's reputation, there should be an apostrophe there, sorry, instead of the pain practitioner. Um, social media may sound complicated and time-consuming, um, but start small. Put up a LinkedIn profile and a Facebook page for your practice. You can get a, a content by setting up Google alerts. This is another really good pearl from this talk. This is how I find my things to tweet for the National Fibromyalgia Chronic Pain Association. I'm giving you my secret. Um, if you go to google.com forward slash alerts, you can put in words and it will send you alerts every day to content, pages, articles, news stories that have those words in it. 
So that's where you can get content to tweet. If all else fails, consult a teenager when it comes to social media because they are the experts. And I used to do that with my son. He turned 21, and now all he says is, Google it, Mom, you'll find the answer. So that's the other thing. In the immortal words of, of one social media expert, Google it, Mom. Um, so just to kind of conclude with some famous uh, doctors on the Internet who have a lot of followers, Gavin Preston, I don't know him, but I feel like he's, you know, again, I should invite him to my kids' weddings. Um, he has a lot of followers. He follows me. I follow him. Um, he posts a lot of interesting stuff. Um, Wen Dombrowski on the bottom left. She is amazing. I, we've met. We, um, she has so many followers in the Washington, D.C. area that she was in town one time and she said, I'm going to be at this bar at this time. Come join me. Um, and we had a lively conversation with about 25 people who showed up. She wrote a book called, um, oh, no, that's, yeah. No, 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 that's someone else. Okay. Um, uh, Leanna Wen. I confuse them. Wen Dabrowski, Leanna Wen. Leanna Wen, I'm talking about, she um, wrote a book called When Doctors Don't Listen. She's a doctor. Uh, it's a great book. You should all read it. Um, and she did the social media thing when she was in, in or actually, when did that? She did the book. doesn't matter. They're both great. They both post amazing stuff that you, you just learn so much about so many different things. Um, and uh, Francis Collins, obviously, he's the head of NIH. Um, you know, you learn a lot from him. You learn a lot from Kevin Foe. Uh, here are some pain people. Um, Dr. Kent, I, know, I don't know him, but I feel like I know him. I don't know if he's ever come here, but um, I see his stuff all the time. We communicate all the time. I don't know who these other guys are necessarily. I hope I'm not insulting anybody if they're in the room. But, um, you know, these are people that I follow, and they follow me, and um, they post very interesting content. And, you know, the other thing is if you don't have time, you can just retweet. You can go online, look up a couple of these people, and retweet what they sent out, and you, you develop a media presence. And that is it. And um, I'm a little over, but if you have questions, I'll be happy to take them. Thank you.